and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. We're going to talk about frogging today. It's kind of scary and kind of exciting. Let's start by telling people what frogging is and why we call it frogging. We get asked this periodically, so today is the day to address it. Frogging is the process of unraveling your knits. So you're just taking apart all of the hard work that you put into it. And you've maybe heard us mention this before, but frogging is called frogging because you rip it, rip it, rip it out. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of sounds like the noise a frog makes if you're an English speaker. You say ribbit, ribbit. (laughs) I don't know what frogs say in other languages. So if you're frogging a work in progress, you're going to be taking the needles out and pulling it back row by row. There are a couple ways you can do that, but basically you're just rewinding your knitting. You might also want to frog a finished project. It's one thing if you're taking out your work in progress because of mistakes, but you might have knit something and then just found that it's not a project that you ever wear and you really like the yarn or have some other purpose for it. Maybe you're going to do some charity knitting with it, or it's going to go to someone else, but the project cannot continue to exist as it is. So that's going to involve a little bit more work, I think, if you've already woven in ends and done finish work. Frogging in those circumstances mean that you're going to have to spend some time finding those ends that you have diligently woven in and hidden and kind of unpicking, undoing any seams that might exist, pulling out your bind off. And then ripping it out row by row from there. Pulling out a bind off is like my least favorite thing to have to do because bind offs are meant to just last. They are like the knots at the end of your knitting, basically. I feel like bind offs kind of imply some sort of permanence and finality for this knit thing that you have. And taking them apart is not always as easy as one might expect. Additionally, if you're not sure, like if you didn't knit the thing, but you're taking it apart, determining where the bind off is versus the cast on can be a whole different situation. Right. Depending on the method of bind off and the method of cast on that are used, it can be really hard to tell the difference. Or sometimes it's super obvious. If you're actually looking at it, you can be like, oh, totally, this is the bind off. But not always. Mm -hmm. And you really can't rip from the cast on. You need to cut that if you're moving from that direction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So maybe you're just pulling back a single row. Maybe you're pulling back a whole section. Maybe you're pulling back your whole project. When you're doing your frogging, I think that one of the things that's a helpful tip is to kind of keep yarn management in mind. Because if it's like one or two rows, that's not that much yardage. But if you're ripping back inches of a project, you're about to have a giant pile of crimpy ramen noodle-esque yarn in your lap. And the chances of that tangling and becoming knotted increase with every yard that you rip back. The yarn has a memory. So it's like those old phone cords, five or six (laughs) foot long twirly phone cords that people born before 1985 still remember. And how tangled those would get. That's what your yarn is going to do with the crimpiness that's in it, depending a little bit on how long it's been since you knit the stitches. You're frogging one row you did immediately before you frogged it. It might not be as bad as if it's been sitting in a bag for two years waiting for the courage to frog it. So one of the ways you can avoid tangling is to wind as you're doing it. 
You can rip out some length of yarn and start winding it into a ball. Or if you're fortunate enough to have access to a ball winder, either at home or at your friendly local yarn shop, you can attach the yarn that you're frogging to the ball winder and just crank out the sweater or the hat or whatever it is in reverse and have your yarn caked up and ready for the next stage of its life. When you're working from a center pole ball, one of the things I like to do is sort of wrap it at like a 90 degree angle around the ball as I'm frogging so that then as you're re-knitting, you can figure out where you were. You're like, oh, I've finally done everything I already did. Sometimes that's like an emotional roller coaster because you're like, wow, I just spent three weeks redoing yarn that I'd already knit. I don't like that. (laughs) I have a project with a rewrapped diagonal wrap ball of yarn in my bag right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a mile marker for you. It is really nice to be able to just throw the unpicked end on a ball winder and just go. And we actually do that. Oh, yeah. Like fairly often for people. It can be really hard to frog your own stuff. So we'll have people who will come in with their like, I finished this sweater and I just really realized the shoulders are not right. And they'll pick out the bind off and then we'll plunk the now loose end on the ball winder. And it's just boom, now you're back to cakes. Sometimes they're like weird little cakes because you've cut to finish sections or whatever, but at least you're not having to do it by hand. Also, sometimes they're excitingly big cakes (laughs) and you don't know when they're going to end because the yarn has been spliced together. So it's kind of multiple skeins into one giant cake of yarn. (laughs) That's so satisfying. So if you're working with particularly fuzzy or sticky yarn, like mohair or something like that, first of all, frogging that is kind of a nightmare because all of the little bits that give it the halo that's like why you used it in the first place are going to stick to each other. And frogging double strands held together, also kind of, even if none of it is mohair, it's kind of like, uh, those strands are married because they're all twisted. It just doesn't work. But if it's like really fuzzy or sticky, you can put it in the freezer and that will help make those little hairy bits a little less sticky. It's a really slow process because it's only helpful for as long as the yarn is still kind of frozen. So like take it out of the freezer You can work with it for a couple of minutes until it warms back up, and then you have to put it back in the freezer. Yeah. It's shocking that it works, though. It's a pretty cool trick because on my own, I would not have come to that conclusion. So yay for information sharing amongst knitters. Yeah. And you're going to want to make space in your freezer for this. Don't put your knits in the ice bin. Right. You'll be sad. Unless you want a fuzzy gin and tonic for your (laughs) re-knitting later. (laughs) Okay, so I'm kind of an impulsive frogger. Yeah. But there are people who are very thoughtful about it. Yeah. Frogging may or may not be an emotional hurdle for you as a knitter. For some people, there are big feelings about frogging, and those are valid. And feel your feelings and find some knitter friends to support you. And other people are like, this is just another step in my process. Do I need to do this or do I not? But there are questions that you can ask yourself before you jump into frogging. And me, of three days ago... Former me Uh wishes that I had maybe done that. And I'm going to tell you a short story before we ask some of these questions for you to mull over in your knitting life. So if you're a regular listener, you may recall that I spent a year telling you about my Lotta dress that I'm knitting out of Wilder that I loved until a week ago when I didn't love it anymore and I frogged it. (laughs) The pattern, not the yarn. Oh, yeah, I love the yarn. And frankly, the pattern is fine, too, but I had just emotionally moved on. 
Sometimes ideas and projects have an expiration date, and if they don't get done before their expiration date, if you're checked out, they're just never going to happen. Right. And I have so much of this yarn, and I love this yarn so much, I was like knitting something else. I'm going to do it. So I did. I frogged it. I felt good about that frogging. I still stand by feeling good about that frogging. And I started knitting a new dress. And this one is bottom up. So the cast on was a lot of stitches, like so many stitches, hundreds. And that's fine too. And I knit, and I knit, and I knit. And at some point, I thought I should probably reference the pattern. And I looked at it, and I said, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) And I frogged like 20 rows of this very stitchful project (laughs) out of my needles, like so many stitches. And I just frogged wildly, and I wound that yarn back up around my cake, went to start knitting again, double-checking where I was after I put all of the stitches back on my needle, and then realized that I'd made a terrible mistake. That's the worst. I jumped ahead in the pattern, so I was reading the section that I hadn't gotten to quite yet, and thought, oh no, I didn't do the instruction here, I have to rip all of this out, and then realized that I missed reading part of it and just booped ahead and erroneously ripped out 20 rows of this dress. That's a nightmare. That was my impulsive frogging story. I think it's the only time in my knitting life ever that I have impulsively frogged a project, and I regret it deeply. (laughs) (laughs) I will often, like if something's really gone wrong, I'll frog altogether. I used to frog a lot more than I do. Often now, I will frog when I've tried to drop back and it's gone wrong. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Decisions are hard. And like we definitely know people who knit at the store who will spend weeks deciding whether they're going to frog something or not. They'll hit a snag, they'll look at it and say, oh, I think I might need to rip this back. I'm going to set it aside and think about it. I am not that person. Sometimes you need to take that emotional distance, though, and it can be valuable. And while you're taking that time, if you're inclined to do so, you can ask yourself, can I fix the mistake without ripping everything out? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes you have to try and you find (laughs) out the answer is no. And really, it didn't hurt you to try. Right. If you're going to end up ripping out either way. Give it a shot. If the issue is not a mistake, but it's a finished project fit issue, or even while you're in progress, sometimes you're knitting things and as it starts to take shape in your hands, it's not what you envisioned compared to the editorial pattern photos that you see when you're choosing your project. And you have to ask yourself, will I ever wear this thing? Right. Sometimes you're not going to. (laughs) That's like the most heartbreaking frogging, I think. Because you're like, I knit it. I did all the instructions. I followed the pattern. I made it work. And I just don't like it. Yeah. Mm, That's sad trombone. I have a couple of pieces like that that have either been given away to the universe or have been retired in some other way. Another question when you're considering frogging, if you know something's going to not be really what you want to wear, do I like this yarn enough that I'd like to knit with it again? Because if the answer is no, maybe you don't frog it. Maybe you find a friend that that garment or accessory would look great on and you just give it to them and release it to the universe. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. Frogging isn't always an eventuality. There are other solutions. This was a question I should have asked myself (laughs) before my fateful events of the other night. Did I read the pattern correctly? (laughs) Sometimes the answer is no. Is there actually anything wrong or am I just not understanding what I'm looking at? 
And then the other thing that's really the deciding factor, if you've determined that there is something wrong between frogging or disposing of the project, is whether you had a good enough tactile experience with the yarn that you actually want to re-experience it. If you have gotten some distance into your project and you're like, I am just not enjoying this yarn, my hands don't like it, too slippery, too sticky, too thick, too thin, too whatever, don't make yourself knit with it twice. No, don't do it. (laughs) It's a mistake. There's too much good yarn out there. Right. For you to force yourself to use things you don't want to be using. So let's switch gears a tiny bit. We're still in the taking apart your project mode. But let's talk about tinking for a minute, because tinking is not quite the same as frogging, but it is a valuable tool in taking apart your knitting. Tinking is, if you just look at the word tink, it's just knit backwards. You're just basically picking back from where you were. It takes longer than frogging. It will save you the re-knitting. And so you usually do it when you've made a mistake, like relatively close to where you are in your knitting. You know, you're like a row back. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't need to get so dramatic that you're pulling your needles out entirely or taking drastic measures. Sometimes the thought of knitting backwards is confusing to people. So the actual process of tinking, I'm going to quickly and clearly try to explain it to you. What you're doing is you're taking the needle that holds your stitches. If you're a right-handed knitter, this will be your left needle. If you're a left-handed knitter, this will be your right needle. But it's the needle that has stitches that you are going to work into if you're knitting in your regular direction. You're going to take the point of that needle, you're going to insert it not into the stitch that's live on your working needle, but one stitch below. And as you're doing that, you're kind of gently pulling your working yarn out of that loop. So it's putting the stitch back onto your non-working needle, your holding needle, and it's preparing that stitch to be knit again when you get to it. You might need to do this for five stitches. You might need to do it for 150 to get across that row, but you're unworking what you just did. A lot of times when you do this, your stitches could end up twisted. That can also happen with frogging. If you frog back like 12 inches and then you decide to put your needles back in instead of using like a lifeline that we'll talk about in a minute, when you're picking it up, you might find that the wrong leg of the stitch is in front. That's fine. Just fix it before you knit the stitch when you're working back in the, I'm going to call it the productive direction. <laughs> right. Making progress. Yeah. <laughs> if you're ripping back on pearl rows, it's functionally the same thing. Just make sure that you are holding your yarn to the front when you're tinking back. Tinking is a funny word when you're talking about pearls. What would that be? Lurping? When when you're lurping across your row. (laughs) It's the same function. You just want your working yarn on the front side of your fabric so it's not fighting with you from the opposite orientation. Every once in a while when I'm tinking, you kind of get into the rhythm of it and I'll tink back way farther than I need to. Like it'll just be like, do, 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 you know, moving backwards. You don't have to look at the pattern. You're paying attention to what's on Netflix or happening in your meeting or whatever. Then you realize you've tinked like four rows instead of the half a row that you needed to. (laughs) It's meditative. It's soothing. Frogging in particular can feel chaotic. It's a chaos activity. You've taken your needles out. You're going to just kind of wildly rip. I think my heart's racing a little bit. (laughs) It's particularly chaotic, I think, with superwash yarn, like slippery yarn. Yes. And can I just say, this is one of those places where crochet has 18 different legs up on knitting. Because when you're ripping back crochet, it's a single stitch. It's a satisfying, like, pop, 
pop, pop. Yeah. And there's only one to manage at right. a time. Go too far. That's okay. You still know where your stitch is. So you're going to end up with all of these unsecured stitches. You could just put your needle back through or maybe you want to use a lifeline. So lifelines are handy tools that knitters use and the knitters who use them are planners. <laughs> yes. They buy insurance. They, <laughs> when they're checking out at Best Buy and they're like, do you want the replacement two-year guarantee thing? They're like, you know what? Yes, I do. When they go to the dentist and the dentist says, do you floss every day? They never lie. They just always do. Like They're, <laughs> they're planners and they're prepared. So lifelines are strands, like some sort of string that gets placed through stitches in your knitting. Not while the needle has been pulled out, but sometime before that. <laughs> right. Preventative. Yes. Preventative. <laughs> you smarty pants. Good for you. So you can use dental floss. You can use scrap yarn. You can use those trendy barber cords that everyone is so in love with at the moment. And they're super handy. They're fun tools. But what you're doing is you're taking this line and you are running it through a row or a section of stitches. It can be the entirety of the row. It can be a section that has like cables or lace work because you anticipate there could be a problem in that area. And what that's doing is it's like a bookmark for those stitches. So if you need to go back, you can go exactly back to where you need to. One of the reasons people use dental floss in particular is that it's not sticky. You can thread it through. Some needles have like a hole in them. At the start of your row, you can thread it through the hole on your working yarn and hold it double with your cord while you're knitting that row. And then when you get to the end of that row, you're going to want to cut it and like take it back out of the hole. You don't want to just bring it with you all the way. You're leaving it in those stitches. You're not marling. Right. <laughs> the reason people like that is that then when it's time to pull it out, it doesn't stick. That's what's nice about the barber cords too, is they're like silicone. They're some kind of fishing apparatus, but they're like a little stretchy. They're like these little hollow silicone tubes. Tubes. And for those, you don't really hold it double. You're going to stick a needle into one end of the tube and either knit it through or sew it through. Because that's the other thing you can do is if you knit a row and say, I want a lifeline here, you just take whatever you're using for your lifeline and thread it through the stitches that are live on your cord, leave them where they are, and keep going. Yeah, so if you've placed a lifeline three inches down the road in your project when you pull out your needles and just start wildly ripping back, your yarn will stop when you get to the lifeline row. It can't drop down any further because that lifeline is holding those stitches in place. And it makes it easier to pop your needles back in so you can start knitting forward because you don't have to worry about dropping stitches down in your work past where you would like them to be. We definitely have people who come into the store. I've done this myself. You make a mistake and you realize you're going to have to frog. And so you figure out where you need to sew waste yarn or something in a couple inches down from where you are. That does work. If you're doing that, you want to make sure you have a good surface to lay your project out on. And there's not a 0% chance that you're going to get off. People will sew a row up or they'll sew a row down. And you figure that out when you're ripping, like if it gets caught and there's stitches up above, or it won't rip past a certain point, then you've gotten out of alignment, and you can deal with that when you see it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty handy. It's a cool trick to have in your pocket. So if you've frogged, and now your project no longer exists, and your yarn is wildly crimpy and curly, and you think to yourself, I don't want to knit like this. 
This is not my life. I want my yarn to be how I remember it being, the yarn that I loved. You can fix that. Wool has memory. Lots of fibers have memory. But if there is crimp in it, yarn is just hair for the most part, unless you're dealing with some like non-protein. That's a different story. But it's hair. If you have straight hair and you take a crimper, we're going to say a crimper, no curling irons. We're going 80s. And you crimp your hair. It's not crimped forever. Or if you just have naturally curly hair, there are ways to make it straight. This is true of your yarn, too. Restoring your yarn to its formerly smooth strand status, you need to get it out of the ball that you have wound it into. So you're going to turn it back into a looped skein. If you've got a swift at home, you can just attach one end to that and start slowly spinning it to bring the yarn back up onto the winder. That's really fun. And Jessica's saying slowly, I say go as fast as you want to because it's fun. Yes. <laughs> Wholesome chaos. But if you don't have a swift at home, you can also use the back of a chair. You can put your knees up in a little triangle and wrap it around your knees. You can convince a loved one to hold their hands up as you wind back around their hands. Just get that yarn back into a skein shape. Yeah, like not a twisted skein, like a loop. Yep. You're also going to want to secure your ends and like put some ties around it. Remember when you opened that skein up before it was wound, there were ties around the yarn. You can do that with some scrap yarn or you could use like shower curtain rings to put around them. And that's to keep it from collapsing back on itself and getting tangled. Can we talk about the shower curtain rings for a minute? Sure. Okay. So when we say shower curtain rings, we don't mean like the S hooks that go over the bars. There are those plastic circles that have like a little snap on one side. I looked for those forever because they're really helpful in your dyeing yarn also. The dollar store. They come from the dollar store, I think. The other thing you can use that you may have around your house is zip ties. Yes. Like if either you or someone you live with likes to zip tie cables together, those work really well. (gasps) (laughs) I like that it's not someone needs to do a project, but just someone likes to zip tie them (laughs) together. I feel like there's different levels. I am conscious of this. Different levels of comfort with cable chaos, like like Uh electronic cable chaos. And some people deal with their discomfort with that by hiding those in things. That's me. Or by zip tying them into one big monster cable. And that's other people. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So you're going to secure that skein and then you're going to give it a little bath. Just let it soak in a bowl or a sink full of cool water. If you want to put some soak or eucalyptus or something in there, you can do that too, but it's not really necessary. Just let it soak until it's saturated. Then you're going to gently squeeze the water out and hang that beautiful yarn back up and just let it dry on its own. So you want to hang it so it's like a loop that's hanging down. Mm -hmm. And then once it's completely dry... It's ready to do whatever you want with it. You can twist it back up into a skein and store it, or you can wind it into a ball and knit with it, and you're ready to go. Yay, frogging and tinking (laughs) and letting you live your best knitting life by working through mistakes and not being emotionally tied to things that you don't want to wear or knit. Right. It's a really freeing feeling, and it's also really nice to know that you haven't wasted the materials. If you decide that you don't actually want to re-knit the thing you're working with, you can reclaim the yarn. Magical. So what's on your needles, Jessica? So many things. But today, I just want to profess my love for one of my test knits. (laughs) I spent some time working on my great gingham pullover that I'm test knitting for Jessie Mae last night. And I'm just so stupidly in love with this project. Knitting gingham is so much fun. 
I recommend to everyone who hasn't knit gingham before, which I feel like is most of us. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a knit gingham pattern. But when this becomes available to everyone, super go knit it because it's a fun way to do color work. And I just am really pleased with my color choices and watching my spin cycle shift from like grays to creams to peachy orange. And it's getting good. It's exciting. I think what's really neat about knitting gingham as color work is that it's replicating a weaving technique. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're just alternating. That's how you would do gingham in weaving. You would alternate. It's just neat. Crossover. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like doing this weird thing with my hands. Take something that you see in one mode of creation and figure out how to make this other mode of creation do that thing. It's really cool. Yeah. Very fun. What's on your needles, Karen? So I cast on the Amberwing Socks by Summer Lee. It's that Rusamina technique, that Estonian colorwork technique. Apart from my little kerfluffle with it yesterday, I'm really, really loving it because I was just in this place where on a scale of zero, where zero is completely brainless, and a hundred, where, I don't know, a hundred is brainful. <laughs> very engaged, uh, yes, super very focused. <laughs> super focused. My Gresham was at zero at the point where I am on it. And my Deliciosa is all the way at 100, and I just needed something in the middle, and I've been wanting to try this technique, so I'm really excited about it. I'm really loving it. They're going to be super cute socks. Yeah, you're like stitching little moths on it. It's cool. Adorable. And I have to say, you've got stellar colors picked. Oh, yeah, Jessica picked my colors. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. (laughs) Hey, Jessica. Yes, Karen? Are you ready for a letter? I absolutely am. Let's do this. be our shortest letter ever. Oh? And it comes to us from Justine. Hi, Justine. What are your favorite knits? Oh, that's it. (laughs) Yep, that's all. (laughs) I kind of love that. All right. So I'm just going to talk about the types of things I like to knit. I, as you may have gleaned from listening to this podcast, (laughs) am an enthusiastic sweater knitter. I really love knitting sweaters. But specifically, I really love cardigans. I think I like wearing them most. But I feel like I should have more good pullovers in my wardrobe, so I'm excited about this test knit. But cardigans are my jam, and while I aesthetically love color work, I generally don't think I love knitting it. Oh, interesting. Which is something I just recently realized about myself. It's beautiful. I love color work, and I appreciate it. But then when I look at my most worn knits and the things that I had the most fun knitting, no color work. Single color projects. Interesting. Yeah. It's introspection time in my knitting life, and I'm (laughs) discovering new things about myself. Whereas I don't knit tons of texture, but I really love doing it when I do. Like my cinnabar shawl, the brioche was so much fun. I find myself thinking, could I sneak brioche into this project that I'm knitting that doesn't contain it? So (laughs) yeah, that's where I'm at. Cardigans and loving texture and single color projects at this point. What about you, Karen? What do you like to knit? What are your favorite things? So textured sweaters. I've very much shifted pullovers. I'm not really a big cardigan wearer. Mm -hmm. And my track record with sticking is zero for one. So like (laughs) I, it's just not, I don't do it a lot. Although I did knit two that I've really liked. I'm really into color work on smaller projects though, like mittens and socks and that kind of thing. Hats. 
Although I have been wearing the heck out of my Cladonia. Because it's gorgeous. Because it's gorgeous. And darn it, I am wearing that <laughs> for four times as many hours as it took me to knit it. So <laughs> right, three years from now, I'll be there. <laughs> you know what I think the color work thing is for me? I like to just focus on what's happening in my hands, and I don't like being tied to a pattern. So I think part of the reason I'm really enjoying this gingham project, even though it's all over color work, is that it's only a 10-row color work section. So like I can memorize that, and I don't have to refer back to it. So I think it's like my level of engaging with the wool versus my level of engaging with the paper. Yeah, I think for me, my interest in texture is more about the yarn I want to be knitting with. I just have not, I mean, I'm knitting with superwash right now, but for sweaters, I've just been really enjoying non-superwash and texture works so nicely for it. Yeah. It's a woolly, wonderful world out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be it for us this week. Yeah. We kicked off our Make Good Stash Down knit along on Sunday. Oh, yeah. We are underway. So start posting wildly on Instagram and use the hashtag, hashtag Make Good Stash Down, so we can see one of you at the end of March will win a gift card to Scratch Supply Co. And you can replenish your stash after you've eaten up a bunch of it in your exciting new 2022 <laughs> project. So you can listen or subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcasts, perhaps where you're listening to it right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Rate and review us. We appreciate you. You spreading the good word about Make Good tells other knitters that we exist and we just want this community to keep growing. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. Big, big, big thank you to our Patreon supporters. We appreciate you. We love you. And we like sharing sneak peeks of things with you over there on Eoldie Patreon. You can visit our website for all of the show notes. That's MakeGoodPod.com. You can send letters to Dear Scratch at ScratchSupplyCo.com. And last thing that I can't believe I forgot to mention earlier... We're going to be doing virtual craft night the first Thursday of every month. So you can go to the Scratch website, scratchsupplyco.com, and up in the top link, there's a thing for virtual craft night because we're kind of getting back to in-person here, but we really don't want to lose connection with the podcast people who have been Zooming in from afar. So we're going to do that first Thursday every month. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.